definitely human. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Back to Earth, a podcast about roots. I'm Charlie May. This is episode two. It's winter. I'm on my way to work on the farm. First day on the job. (laughs) Um, We're walking along the Tarka Trail right now, which is a beautiful stretch of old train line. It's 180 miles from the north coast of Devon all the way to Dartmoor. It's one of the longest cycle tracks in the whole of the UK. Okay. Are you trying to impress me with your facts? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, it's weird because, you know, growing up here, I guess I wasn't as interested in these kinds of things as I am now. I think coming back, I want to learn a lot more about the surroundings. We left when we were teenagers, basically, and mm-hmm. teenagers don't have much interest in what's going on around them. In old railway yeah they don't care about old rail turned into <laughs> trails yeah exactly but now i think it's kind of cool did you um go on the trail though when you were a kid yeah we uh i definitely remember we had bikes and i guess we would ride down the hill and ride along the tarka trail go into town or go to the beach how about you uh yeah i would go from barnstable to insto on my bike as a kid so to the beach basically how long is that it's quite a long ride it seemed very long when I was a kid, but it probably isn't that long. Yeah. So it's called Tarka because it's inspired by the route travelled by Tarka the Otter, which is some oh, yes, the Otter, some course. say the best animal story ever told. Who says that? <laughs> Somebody said it. When I... <laughs> no one says Somebody that. did say it. <laughs> it sounds miserable, to be honest. Or it follows—is it the the life of Tarka the Otter in two stages? So it's him being born, then he gets lost and stranded from his mum, and he goes on this journey across Devon, which is the journey, the trail that Tarka Line is yeah. about. So it's all the places that Tarka the Otter goes across North Devon, and that's where the Tarka Trail is inspired by. That's interesting. I didn't even know otters could ride bicycles. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, you can't come to Devon without noticing the influence of Tarka the Otter. You've got the Tarka Trail, obviously, you've got Tarka Inn, you've got Tarka Pottery, you've got the Tarka Train Line, and you've even got Tarka Home Improvements. <laughs> we should go there sometime. <laughs> I was actually looking up Tarka Pottery yesterday because I am interested in getting into pottery. <laughs> oh 
course you are. Yeah, of course I am. Um, so the tagline does a figure of eight basically centering around Barnstable, mm-hmm. which is one of the oldest boroughs in the UK. Is it? 9.30. A.M. 900. <laughs> C. Dot. 930 or is it 930 930 yeah so Barnstable is one of the oldest boroughs I think there was another borough uh, that was 890 or something established but Barnstable 930 good to know (laughs) so the book Tark of the Otter was actually written by Henry Williamson in 1927 and he followed you know a similar journey to us I suppose where he was actually born in London but then fought in World War One in the trenches and was so disturbed just like us us. and he was so disturbed that he went to live in Devon to live out the rest of his days and he did some pretty intense research into otterdom so he like would wriggle around on his (laughs) belly in the mud (laughs) and in the streams and sort of really get to grips with you know what it is to be an otter he was the og furry (laughs) it's all taco man it's all inspired by taco so let me explain what the trail looks like it's actually on an old train line which they have tarmacked over And the route that we're walking this morning runs alongside the Tor estuary. So it winds from Braunton, which is kind of the mouth of the sea, through to Barnstable, which is kind of the centre of the figure of eight. And then on from there, you wind along the north coast until you get to Instow and Biddeford. And then it goes down to Dartmoor. So it's between the River Tor and the River Torridge the two North Devon rivers, and it's sort of between the two. So the Torridge River was where my man Henry Williamson lived and did all his research on being an otter. And then we live now on the Tor River. Yeah, I guess it's pretty special because the trail runs right alongside the river and it's only accessible sort of in certain places by car and it's just for runners and walkers and cyclists. And otters. And otters, yeah. No, we haven't seen any yet. Well, thank you for that. uh, (laughs) You're welcome, aren't you? Aren't you so happy that I'm doing this kind of in-depth research so I can better inform our daily walks and commutes? Okay, so we just walked up Beetroot Hill, so-called because there's a marine base nearby and they run up it every Tuesday for workout practice. (laughs) What do they run up it for? They have like packs on their backs and they carry other men, they carry each other, uh, but they call it Beetroot Hill because that's the colour your face turns once you get to the top. And boy, it is so steep, um, we're going to get pretty fit after having to walk up that every day. So we're at the farmhouse now, behind is the farm, and if we go through this door here, across the cobbles, is our new office. And by office, I mean our new studio slash an old shed. Basically all my life, this shed has been crumbling down, um, 
and I always said that would make such a great studio location looking out over that view. So here we have our new studio. It's a bit empty at the moment. Um, so yeah, this is where I'm going to continue to do my fashion projects as well as working on the farm business. Um, as you can hear, it's a little bit echoey, so we probably won't be doing too much recording in here, although we hope once it's full of more furniture, it will be less so. Uh, more importantly than any of that, I've just seen a dog outside, so... <laughs> it's Doug. So the dog is a spaniel, brown and white, and he's so cute, he's got beautiful big brown eyes. <laughs> he's so cute. <laughs> yeah, oh. you're so gorgeous. You got anything to say? <laughs> yeah, By the way, that loud soaring sound is the carpenters Chris and Wayne. Doug is Chris's dog. Mum said that Doug decides if he wants to go to work every day, so he'll either be standing next to the uh, Chris's van or he'll stay in his bed inside. So he decides if he wants to come with Chris to work, don't you? Today's a work day for Doug. Oh, he has really human eyes, doesn't he? <laughs> he looks like a person. Please, free me from this curse. <laughs> What's that, Doug? You want another scratch? <laughs> oh, just me giving the fire a good stoke, sticking another log on. Oh my God, it's so hot. Oh, so it feels so good to be back in the farmhouse. It's so cozy and warm in front of the fire. Uh, walking around the farm today was so lovely and so peaceful after sort of, you know, being in London for the last year. It's just a real literal breath of fresh air. Um, I don't know anything about the state of farming, traditional, our farm, anything about how farming as a business is doing right now. So it's so nice that I've got mum to talk to. She can bring me up to speed and she can give me the lowdown on everything to do with farming and what's been going on like since I've been away. Um, and what have I got myself into? Yes. Well, there's been a lot of changes in the last 30 years. Farming's gone through bad times, then it went through good times in the 80s and the 90s. And then, of course, we had foot and mouth and it was all changed then. And then we went over to grazing the farm and arable. And now it's all changing again. And it's all very difficult with having come out of Europe. They're changing all the um, rules and regulations and um, it's going to be very different trying to get our heads around the new way because, unfortunately, you're trying to run a business, but the government haven't decided yet what the rules are. They pay you subsidies at the moment on what ground you've got. All the other farms in Europe get the subsidies, which means if we don't get the subsidies, it's not a level playing field. Once upon a time, you used to get subsidies on the animals that you produced. But then the um, European government said, no, it's purely on the ground that you've got. You, you get people that are like racehorse owners that have acres and acres of fields just to have their racehorses on. And they get subsidies as well, which is all wrong. The government 
aren't paying us for food production, but they're expecting food to be produced above and beyond all the regulations that they've put in place in this country. We've got our hands tied behind our back. Everybody wants cheap food and we can't provide it cheaply unless we get the um, subsidies to back us up. So is that one of the reasons why the subsidies exist? Because we can't actually produce food for the price that people want it and be able to survive off of the living? Yes, basically, in a nutshell. I mean, subsidies were introduced after the war when they were trying to produce food for the nation because obviously all the boats bringing food in were being torpedoed. So we had to grow our own. So they then decided to make Britain be self-sufficient. But of course, now everything is imported. We're a country of imports, aren't we, really? Absolutely, absolutely. And you hear the horror stories, particularly at the moment with the fishermen and all the hold-ups at the ports and they're having to come home with empty lorries or ditch all their produce because it's all going off in the back of the lorry. It's red tape and bureaucracy. So, you know, if you can do something in farming that doesn't involve any of it, that's got to be good. I definitely have memories of talking to Dad, you know, at the kitchen table as a kid, teenager, whatever, where he would say, don't get into animal farming, whatever you do, because you will not get the same price as what you've put into, say, a sheep. You you sell it for less than what it's cost you to put into it over the years. I mean, you heard the, you know, the dairy industry only a year ago, they were pouring milk down the drains because they couldn't sell their milk for what it was costing them to produce. That's always ever been like it. If it's milk one month, it's beef the next, sheep the next, grain the next. I mean, I'm growing barley and wheat. And last year we had an absolutely disastrous summer weather-wise. And so the grain didn't swell in the fields. And so when harvest time came, I got less than half of the expected tonnage of the um, grain. I'm selling it for more than I was a year ago. But of course, there's not enough of it in the shed Mm. to make up the difference. My sheds are only half full this year, whereas last year they were brimming. So it's very difficult times. And as we're going into global warming, we get wetter winters, hotter summers. And um, maybe arable has not got the future. You know, your dad used to say we'd be better off growing rice. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Um, because it's so wet and the crops rot in the ground before they have a chance to grow. So growing less acreage of barley and wheat is probably not a bad thing. So, wow, yeah, having the conversation with mum was pretty eye-opening. All is not quite as easy as I thought it would be, sort of my rose-tinted goggles, I guess. Working on the farm, I think it's clear it's, you know, it's hard work. Mum's, will she mind me saying she's 70? (laughs) Um, You know, mum's 70 years old and she's up at the crack of dawn um, going out, checking on the sheep. We rent out our land to a local sheep farmer. And being that the sheep are on our land, it's her responsibility to check on them every day, check that they're all good. If there's any problems, she can report back to the farmer. And then she's uh, talking to Nigel, our farm manager, about different things that need to be done during the day to look after the crops and manage the land. You know, it's winter time at the moment, so lots of fencing and things need to be done, upkeep for when it does get a lot busier. So on top of all this, you know, making sure that everything is managed and under control, making sure the crop is in the barn, making sure that everything's growing in the field, the animals are all good. She's not even going to be guaranteed a profit at the end of the year. And that's why we need to rely on money from the government in the form of subsidies to top up the end of year sort of profit and loss account. So it's the difference between making a profit and a loss for her. It was a little bit 
sort of bleaker than I thought it was going to be. But mum's been super open about the idea of modernising and collaborating on the farm. I'm amazed at her modern sensibility and I know that we're going to work really well together. She's been so great and made moving down here so easy and made me feel so welcome. Um, Not that I wasn't expecting that, of course, she's my mum, but I just think when it comes to farming and this business that, you know, she's sort of taken over for the last few years... I expected her to kind of do things in a traditional way. But having spoken to her earlier about, you know, how farming is and the state of farming right now and what needs to be done, I think she can really see the possibilities into moving into new ventures such as tourism. And yeah, I'm excited about the future of the farm. Um, But yeah, it's still a lot. I'm going to pour myself some real wine now. Why, Why weren't you drinking real wine before? So I've been drinking this alcohol-free wine, um, trying to cut down on drinking in general, really. Um, We've been trying to get pregnant for a couple of years now, um, and it's taking a really long time, so just trying to get healthier in general. And yeah, I've been trying lots of sort of alcohol-free beers and wines, and yeah, I've had plenty of other things to sort of take my mind off it. And I'm no longer sitting around not doing anything in London, and actually being busy down in Devon and having things to do um, is really good for my state of mind. How about you? Yeah, I think you've you're you're handling it much better than I am. I think you've been doing really well. Yeah, much better than I would have expected. Well, I don't know. What does that mean? <laughs> <sighs> so yeah, we've been trying for a baby for a couple of years now, and I don't know what it is. Uh, I was on acne medication, which was you know hormone adjustment, so it could have been that. Could have been the London sort of lifestyle being very stressed, especially the last year throughout sort of lockdowns and COVID, etc. So I'm sort of. Hoping that the Devon lifestyle is going to help. Uh, I feel actually completely different down here than I did in London. I think having so much space to think, places to walk, I feel like I have a much more open mind and I feel a lot more at ease than I did in London. So how's that uh, not drinking alcohol going? Well, look, I'm having a glass tonight, sort of doing two weeks on, two weeks off, trying that, um, (laughs) but drinking a lot less in general anyway. Um, I'm sure I'm doing it all wrong, but so I'm really excited about being here. I feel so much different than in London. I feel really good. I'm excited to be working with mum. Um, I think we're going to make a really good team and going to do some really cool projects together. Obviously don't want to run before I can walk. Um, want to take things slow, you know, don't want to put too much on my plate. I think I know what my first project's going to be. I'm going to start a vineyard. Yep, that's right, folks. A vineyard. An easily obtainable goal, I'm sure. Whatever, we'll worry about it in the next episode. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at Back to Earth Podcast and on Twitter at Back to Earth Pod. Music is by John Day. Artwork is by Eric Chow. And this episode was edited by David Knight. A huge thanks to those guys and to my mum, Arlene, and Doug the Dog, and to you for listening. And if you're supporting us on Patreon, stay tuned for our after-show series, Hashtag Farm Life. This week, we're talking about turning an old shed into a fancy new studio. It involved breaking things, which is always fun. Plus, what else do we know about Doug? Find out more at patreon.com forward slash definitely human. Back to Earth is a definitely human production. Okay, bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, 
and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.